0: Let's go to Revelation chapter 3. It is good to see you this morning. That's for my second wave crowd. I I did a welcome earlier for those who get here at 10.30. So, Revelation chapter 3. If you need to email someone, feel free to email jared at gbcth.org. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of the of God and the seven stars I know your works you have the reputation of being alive but you're dead wake up and, and strengthen what remains and is about to die <laughs> For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you receive and heard. Received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Every week, we've looked at one of the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And as we've looked at those, we've asked the same three simple questions. Question number one, what can we learn from the church or about the church? What does this say about Jesus? And what does this say to us? What do we learn about the church? What does this say about Jesus? And what does it say to us and as we opened up earlier, I ask you to to open your prayer, to open your worship God and to express in one sentence a, a prayer to our Lord uh, God, this is what I need from you and we came in pretty hot if we're being honest three verse one and we looked that Those things that we need, our God is fully capable of meeting those needs. Now, He may not always meet them in the way that we would like for them to be met. But God is about meeting our needs. He doesn't meet them in the way that you see needs met on TBN. But God meets the needs of His people as they come to Him. And I am encouraged when we look at the church of Sardis because when you read through the text, it does not seem encouraging. As a matter of fact, it seems a little discouraging when you really begin to dig in. But we should be encouraged even if we are in the midst of an apathetic dead faith because this means that God is still talking to us. That God's still expressing things to us. That God has a word for us. The seven spirits that I gave you earlier, if you're a note taker. We see those from Isaiah chapter 11, which Jared read earlier. We see these concepts throughout the scriptures woven through the pages of the Bible. The spirit of the Lord is the Holy Spirit. That we would see that God rested upon Jesus at the baptism. The Holy Spirit descended as a dove. The Spirit of the Lord. The same Spirit that we see resting upon Jesus. For those of us who have faith in Jesus, that is the Spirit of God that lives in us. And for you to be a Christian, the Holy Spirit is to be present. And if we're not careful, many people who come from certain faith backgrounds will diminish the work of the Spirit. Yet the Scripture is very clear. If the Spirit is not active in you, you are in a, an apathetic, dead spirituality. A dead faith. He even says this about those spirits. The spirit of, of wisdom and understanding. The idea of wisdom. When you've been in a situation where you're having a conversation with someone and you don't know what to say, but all that you know is that God is present in you and maybe, just maybe, you did a devotion last week and God gave you something from that. We've all been there. Understanding. Look, if it were not for the Spirit of God alive and well in us as believers... We read through this book and it's nothing more than ink on paper for us. But the spirit of understanding is present and allows what we read to help us walk with God better. And if we are not believers in this room, even in the midst of what we do here, God is using and giving understanding so that we can hear what he says. Counsel, power, knowledge, and fear. All of these concepts, they revolve around the idea that as we look at the Holy Spirit alive and and work in believers, that the Spirit is fully capable of meeting all that we need. So if we're taking notes today, and I hope you are, the first thing that we see is verse 1 tells us this is Jesus. This is Jesus. That's a great three words. The angel of the church and Sardis write this. The word of him who has the seven spirits. The presence of the spirit in Jesus. And the seven stars, the seven stars, the reference to the pastors of these churches. Jesus is saying, this is me. And I'm about to insert myself into your situation. So, this is Jesus. And then the second thing we look at in verse at the end of verse 1 is... Well, this is good. Every one of these churches has had an introduction. It tells us good and or bad. And then it tells us how to move forward. This is good. Let me make a list of the good things that Jesus said about the church at Sardis. I'm done. The closest thing that we get in regards to a good reference to the church at Sardis is that they have a good reputation. But that's not enough. If you've ever been on the internet and you have there is a good chance that there has been clickbait that has popped up. And it's typically in line with things that you read. So if you're a sports fan, you're not getting clickbait about sci-fi unless you're (laughs) well-rounded. And one clickbait article that, that I read was about athletes... Who appear to be nice, but are in actuality jerks. And we've all heard stories about athletes who seem to be nice. I'll tell you, the quarterback playing for the Texans right now, that's a good kid. I mean, he does really good things. I'm, I'm all about him. I'm all in on Deshaun Watson. So, but he wasn't on this list because it was a little while back, and it was more established athletes Guys who appear to be nice that are actually jerks. Tom Brady was listed 23 times. <laughs> Peyton Manning was never mentioned. So, so you read this idea of Jesus drawing up the idea that the reputation of the church at Sardis is that they are doing godly things. So because we read the Bible and we have to see ourselves in light of it, I would ask this, do we as a church here at Grace Bible have a reputation of being one thing when in actuality we are something else? So when we go from from the macro level to the micro level. What about the people who make up Grace Bible? Because as that little hand motion taught me when I was a kid, the church is about the people. Are we people who have a reputation of one thing yet we are living out something else? Do we have a reputation that says that we are alive? The words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, the spirit of the Lord knows that we need to hear that every one of us at times we are in danger of having a reputation that is not in actuality played out by the way that we live I know your works you have a reputation of being alive but you are dead so the title of this sermon its on your gun it's dead men walking are we alive Jesus as he points out death in the scriptures, there's two ways that we can see it. One of those is the idea that any of us who are not in relationship with Jesus, what the scriptures teach us is that we are spiritually dead people. That we have no life within us. And apart from the, the God of the Bible inserting himself in our life by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, we are dead. Another way that we see death throughout the pages of scripture is the idea of, of lifeless life we are alive but nobody can tell that we're alive you probably use a phrase similar to this in your own life when someone asked you if you wanted to go do something and you said man I would but I am dead just so I'm not the only one who's ever said that I'd go with you but I'm, I'm just dead anybody ever said anything like that? that's us, we say that I am dead, I am lifeless life Uh, Hope and I were married in May of 2007. And uh, very quickly, she realized that I was a snorer. And when I say I'm a snorer, I don't mean like that cute little hum that your spouse cranks out. It sounds like a wounded boar is in our room. And not only am I a snorer, I've I've married... a person who's a light sleeper. So we try to block these sounds out with with fans and hair dryers and bringing dumpster trucks in. But I'm laying there and it's it's almost as if I'm, I'm dead. So here's what Hope does. She will take a phone about once every three to five years and she will record me snoring and she will turn it up to the decibel level that I snore and she will allow that which is problematic with me when she hits the play button to wake me up i thought someone was a burglar the first time she did it someone like, where's my bat It's drawing attention to what's negative in me with what's negative in me. And that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. This is Jesus. First thing we see, verse 1. Verse 1, verse 2, this is good. Nothing. Welcome to church. This is bad. Jesus says this. Wake up and strengthens what remains and is about to die. So not only do we look at the church at Sardis and see that there is death that's there, but Jesus is even pointing out that which is in the church that is alive is about to die. Because I have not found your works to be complete in the sight of the Lord. A couple of things we learn about Sardis when we read through history. And if we were to travel through space and time in the Tardis. We would find that, uh, that, tar- that <laughs> Sardis. Oh, using rhyming words are going to throw me off today. Uh, if we were to travel to Sardis. We would see a place which was on a hill as a matter of fact it's on the hill and you would notice there's a, it's a 1500 foot plateau and throughout history they have rested in the fact that that they if they were to be attacked no one can get to them because of the structure they have at the top of the hill. But their greatest strength is the landscape that's there. People would have to run up the hill to attack them. So what would take place with their various soldiers who were standing on guard was they would bring their Snuggie with them and they would go to sleep on the outskirts of the wall. Two times in history, Assyria and Persia attacked Sardis. And this place that felt as if they were untouchable, they were touched. As if they could not be conquered, they were conquered. So when you look at the church of Sardis, you see a very different pattern than every one of the other churches because the rest of them have issues that seem to be present. When you look at Ephesus, it says they've lost their first love. And there's even a group that's there called the Nicolaitans that are causing a little bit of trouble for them. The Nicolaitans caused trouble in the second church. When, when you keep reading, you see that there's Balaam that causes church, trouble for the church at Pergamum. When you look at the church of Thyatira, there was, um, there was false teaching that was there. But when you read through Sardis, the only problem that they have... The only issue within the church is not from the outside. It's apathy. In Acts 19, you see where the, the first church is founded. And then you see this church planting that takes place through the book. So, I've heard people say before that church planting is a cool idea we came up with in the 21st century. As a matter of fact, it came up with in the 19th chapter of the book of Acts. These churches are put in place and put in motion. It took 25 years for Sardis to get to this negative spot. So they are apathetic people. They're apathetic about what the gospel is. What some have surmised is that when you were to look at the church of Sardis, they would not verbalize who Jesus is so that they could continue to blend in with the synagogue there in Sardis. So that they would not be ostracized or put on the outskirts. They were just apathetic. And and though we don't live in a world where most of us would blend in at a synagogue, it is very simple in Texas culture and in southeastern culture and in any type of culture that is very churched. For us to blend in and miss the message of Jesus that is the gospel. Now, if you are wondering what that message of Jesus is, I'm thankful for that. Because the message of the gospel is this, that the scriptures paint for us. It is Jesus, because of our sin, comes and meets with us. We were not people who were alive in need of help. We were dead people in need of life. And because of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and only because of that, we can have hope. Hope for this life and hope for eternity. We don't have to live apathetically, yet if we lose sight of that gospel, that is very much a possibility. These are why we push for certain things to happen in this service, in this church regularly. This is why I would encourage you if you are not a member of Grace Bible to attend and be part of our membership matters class at the end of the month. We want you to be a member. Not so that we can count your your head or so that we can play duck, duck, goose. Well, the reason that we would love for you to consider being a member is because that is you giving us permission to care for you. It is you giving us permission to walk alongside of you when you struggle. To be part of your faith experience. That's why we do that. So you can sign up for that. That's why we will push for things like life groups. And in these life groups, we want you to know that there are things that are going to happen there that will not always be fun. Because people are messy. If you've never met a messy person... Please plug into one of our life groups. (laughs) But these groups exist because every one of us has a mess. And we're just trying to move the ball forward and matriculate spiritual growth as best we can. It's why we take the time to provide a devotion every Sunday for our church family. So that we are reminded together as to what the gospel is and why the gospel matters. It's why that in the coming weeks and months we're going to learn more and more about what it means to be part of the body of believers here at Grace. And the importance of things like gathering together because when we gather together, we celebrate Jesus and we share our lives with one another. That we're going to grow together in those groups and push one another to, towards brotherly affection and to loving Jesus more. And we're going to pray together. That we would encourage us as a body of believers not to grow apathetic because we want to use our time, talents, and treasures and give for the sake of Jesus. That we want to go together, going to our neighbors and going to the nations because we believe above all else that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And we really get to express that. And these are not things that we can express well if we have chosen apathy. For lots of us, we hear words like this and we may say, but you don't know my circumstance. And I'll be really honest with you, I don't know your circumstance because I don't know most of you. But here's what I do know, it is very easy for our circumstances to become excuses. And our hope is that that would not be the case. We want to be part of your life. Your groups, everything that we do is pushing us forward. As best we can to be the best representation of Jesus here. A complete representation of Him. Because we need each other. We look at this text and we see that Jesus has pointed out for us, this is what's good, nothing. This is what's bad. And when He points out what's bad, He unloads on them. But even with Jesus, as we always see, there's this patience that's there. Remember then what you have received and heard. What is he wanting us to remember? He's wanting us to remember where we were when the gospel story interceded with ours. So, seven to ten words earlier, seven to ten words now. You on your paper, for you to remember, I want you to write down in one sentence what happened when you placed your faith in Jesus it's a good place for us to remember I'm writing these things down Where were you when you met with Jesus? I want to imagine these stories that you're writing down are all over the board. Some of you were in college and you made lots of mistakes, but somehow Jesus used the people around you to intercede in your life and you gave your life to him as best you could understand, missing the idea that he was taking ownership of you. For some of us, we were 13 or 14 years old and we just knew that there was something else and that we needed whatever that something else was. And when you look through the scriptures, you see it's Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. For others of us, we may have come from a story where we were making really terrible life decisions and Jesus met us in the midst of our mess and he's turning us into something that is beautiful, incredible. We all have these stories, but the, the recurring theme in these stories is not our situation, but the Jesus who meets us in the midst of it. And Jesus says, remember where you were because your story will be effective and helpful for someone else. Keep it. Don't lose sight of that. Well, why? Because if we forget our mess, here's what the church becomes. It becomes a funeral home. There are two places that pastors go a bunch. My last church in Chattanooga, I wasn't the pastor, but I I had various responsibilities, and I spent a good deal of time at the funeral home. Thankfully, I've not had to do that much here. And if you've ever been to a funeral home, you'll notice certain things that are present in the funeral home. The tone of the room never goes above here. The bulk of the people have their shirts tucked in. Most of the people are in order. The only place you see in a line with adults is at a funeral home. It's neat. It's nice. But the reason they're there death lots of churches land there we have structure we have organization we have cushy chairs but there's nothing about this place that says we're alive the other place that a pastor visits a bunch is a hospital Hopefully to see a baby. Because that's the most fun. But in the birthing room? Let's just put it this way. It's not orderly. It's messy. It's scary. You run away. Speaking of personal experience. You have two... Things that you see. A funeral home where there is death. And everything circles around that. Or a birthing room where there's life. We want to lean into one another's lives. So that there's someone there in the midst of your mess. We ask three deacons a week from this point forward to be on call. Not because they've got all the time in the world, but because they believe they're called to serve you. It's us seeing what's there. I I love that. I mean, Jesus even points out there's some among this church, when I look at you, I see really amazing things. I was at lunch on September the 26th with one of our church members at Chick-fil-A, Christian chicken, justified, sanctified, glorified. And while we were there at the Chick-fil-A, he spoke to no less than 27 people. Everyone who'd eaten a waffle fry that day got a handshake from him. Another one of our church members who went to serve our community like when the flooding, when we were mudding out houses, he let me know. So he let me know very quickly i let that guy know what the gospel was. The guy said, get after it, man. I, the other night at our house, there was a snake. And I'll be honest with you, I'm not into snakes. I'm not pro-snake. I sent pictures to people. They told me it was not venomous. I told them it was a crossbreed between a black mamba and a pit viper. <laughs> Just offering to be there. Why do I point these three things out? because in every one of these situations those are things that I'm not like but when I'm around people who happen to be that way because they believe that Jesus has called them to that I'm more likely to be because we cannot be Christians alone there's not a page of scripture that says this is just you and Jesus we need each other We need each other. Jesus says these things to the church at at Sardis. Keep it. Remember it. Keep it. And and repent. So stop being not what you're supposed to be. That's, That's what Jesus says. If not, if you don't wake up from me pointing out all the flaws within what I see, I will come like a thief. That doesn't sound good. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. This pack of people in Sardis had struggled with attacks from outside. But the church that exists in the midst of it, Jesus says you're no different than the rest of them. And very much like they came against, against your city, I'm going to come against you. So wake up. You've got a few names in Zardes. People who have not soiled their garments. They will walk in white for they are worthy. These people prided themselves in their garments. It was actually the way they made money. It was their primary industry. And Jesus says about those who hold tight. I'm going to do better than what they have provided by this industry in our city because I'm not going to give them the color that your city is known for I'm going to actually give them a white garment which was unheard of in this day and I will never blot his name out of the book of life Roman cities would do this really strange thing if someone were to pass away for the sake of the census they would blot their name out It means they're not alive anymore. And Jesus is pointing out how the church at Sardis is living on a reputation. And the reputation on which they lived was about their spiritual vibrance when actually they were spiritually dead. And what he's pointing out to the church is there is death in your midst and you need to acknowledge that. If we do not acknowledge that then you will eventually realize you were never a Christian to begin with and you'll walk away from this. The the idea of blotting out, I'm reminded when when I'm on an email, maybe you go to a website and you order something and when you order that thing, that company begins to send you relentless emails because in the small print, there was something there about how they could talk to you every day for the rest of your life forever. And then you've got to dig deep in the email and get out a magnifying glass. And you've got to hit an unsubscribe button. But you still don't have control over that. Though you may click unsubscribe, somebody for them has to acknowledge that you've unsubscribed. And Jesus is pointing out here there are some within the church at Sardis who've been part of the good reputation, who've known this gospel... But it's gotten to the point where this church was assuming this gospel even to the point where if you were to look at them it seemed as if they didn't care about the gospel. I hope that's not us. Because the gospel is the good news of Jesus even when we don't want it to be. Jesus says in verse 6, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. And he even closes out asking again. He who has an ear, let him hear. Maybe the church at Sardis has perked your attention because when you look at your faith, you see that it's one of reputation and not actual vitality in life. Jesus is saying to you, as you acknowledge that you need to wake up, yeah, I'm with you, I agree with you. You should wake up. And one of the great ways that we get to celebrate that as a church each month is through what we call communion. It's a time for us to acknowledge, God, I do need you. You you were broken for me because I needed you to be broken for me. You shed your blood for me because I needed you to shed your blood for me. Jesus, I was literally, I was spiritually dead and you gave me life. And now that I'm living as if I'm dead, I want to be reminded of your life. So if you're a believer in this room, you have a relationship with Jesus, whether you're a member here or not, I want to invite you to take communion with us today. If you're not a believer in Jesus and you got tricked into this room today, Spoiler alert, it's oyster crackers and bootleg grape juice. But for those of us who walk with Jesus, this is a symbol that we needed his body broken and we needed his bloodshed. Chew bow your heads and then I'm going to send you to some tables around. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've told us about life. God, I thank you for the life that we see in this room. But for those of us who are in the cold space, I pray that this has been a wake up for us. God, I pray that we will keep the gospel. we'll, We'll hold on to it. We'll remember it. Even now there are tables around the room. And Jared's gonna play over us for a moment. Because I don't get to pray for you, I just pray along with you. I want you to take a minute and I want you to pray and, and ask God to just to remind you of what it means to look like you're alive. And as the Lord leads, go to the table and take communion. You don't need my instruction. Take the cracker Eat the cracker And remember that Jesus' body was broken for you Take the juice Drink the juice And remember that you needed Jesus' blood To be shed for you So go there By yourself Or go with a friend Or go with family And let's remember that we're alive Because Jesus has given us life And move as the Lord leads you to move.